Hello and welcome to Eat This Podcast with me, Jeremy Churfus. Today we're off to Louisville, Colorado, a small town about half an hour outside Denver, not far from Boulder, Colorado. So why are we here? Well, because last summer I met Andrew Calabresi from the University of Colorado in Boulder, who's making a film about local grain economies. I told him about my series, Our Daily Bread, and he told me I just had to meet his friend, Andy Clark. So there I was, looking at a funky old house on one of the main corners of Louisville, with a sign outside that said, Moxie Bread Company. Moxie's many things, a bakery, sure, and also a coffee shop and a lunch place. It's warm and friendly. Upstairs, above the shop, there's a bunch of musical equipment and some gongs from Myanmar. And that's where we met up with Andy, who's every bit as friendly and welcoming as Moxie itself. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. Jeremy, you want to try a CBD honey nutmeg cinnamon latte? Sure. CBD is sort of like peyote. It takes about 30 minutes to kick in, and then when it... I read some stuff that you kind of snuck your way into baking. I, I did. I, um, I'd been baking a little bit of bread in high school in Massachusetts, in, in, the, in the coast, uh, Rockport in Gloucester, Massachusetts. In 94, I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and saw this beautiful bakery called Daily Bread that was just sort of shimmering, and I wanted to be a part of it. And I went in and I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bread baker. You know, we hire me, and they said, "Well, tell us your credentials." And well, I baked a little bit of bread on the weekends here and there. And, and they said, "Yeah, no, no way. There's no <laughs> way you're baking for us. We're a artisan bakery. You know, you don't know anything." Uh, and I said, "Well, I'm also a barista." And they said, "Okay, well, you can go pull coffee." So I I, I, I was a barista for about six months uh, at Daily Bread, and I would just look over and just wait for the opportunity. You know, Boulder's a very transient community, and you've got people coming and going, and I knew it wouldn't be long before a baker didn't show up for his shift because it was a powder day and he went skiing or instead of baking bread. And sure enough, that happened, and uh, I said, you guys look short-handed, I'd, I'll jump in. Uh, and that was, yeah, that was in 1994, and uh, I just grew, I loved it. 25 years on, you've got a place that's relatively tiny, doing relatively unusual breads. Has that always been, as it were, <laughs> fermenting in the back of your mind? So, working in this small bakery, Daily Bread, for a number of years, um, and, and, and loving going to work every day. Uh, you know, one of those jobs where you go to work and you're just enthusiastic about the day and about the people you'd see, your colleagues, the customers you'd see, the conversations you'd have, the bread that you would bake. Uh, Whole Foods Market bought that bakery and sort of like a little, um, little house on the prairie in a tornado, we were extracted from the prairie into the eye tornado and plopped into a... 40,000 square foot grocery store. So it was a rather abrupt change and it took me a while to get used to it. 
ended up spending 15 years, 15 really good years of my life working for Whole Foods Market doing what I feel was very uh, good work. And uh, by the time I finished that 15 years of Whole Foods Market, um, I had really come to miss and cherish the small bakery that I once came from. So ideas had been fermenting for years about, you know, wow, you know, instead of making 30,000 loaves of bread a day, which was the, the Whole Foods number or something like that when I left, uh, gosh, what if I could make 30 really, really, really good loaves? And what if I could mill the flour? And what if I could select the grain? And what if I could know the farmer who planted that grain? And uh, what if I could just slow the whole process down and, and get back to the, the simple zen and enjoyment of each and every loaf? So the idea, I mean, going from, I, I can't imagine that Whole Foods Market ever thought of milling its own grain to get, to get flour. So th this idea of doing the whole chain from, from grain, maybe even growing the grain, to bread, how did that incubate in your mind? Uh, it, was, it was a slow seed. Um, I had the great fortune from an early age of, of being around mentors and people who who were very tall trees in our in our forest and all that stuff. You know, I, I used great organic flour for 25 years. And at a certain point, uh, it became clear to me that I wanted to use heirloom varieties of wheat from farmers that we knew. And the driving uh, force behind that was the emergence of the gluten-free, uh, the gluten-free problem where I didn't pay it much attention early on because I thought it was a fad and uh, lo and behold I personally begin to have some digestive issues that that are somewhat unquantifiable and my young son my middle son has some digestive issues and we do some research and find some good doctors and discover it's related to wheat so here's a bread baker uh, who, who should not be eating wheat, and that was pretty scary. And so I started to kind of scratch my head as I would do more anecdotal research and discover that there was people everywhere, and not just in Boulder, all over the country and all over the world, who were having reactions to wheat. And, um, you know, I, I think I've, I've, I questioned my, our government. I, I questioned the FDA. I questioned the people who were... Uh, saying these food, foods, foods are safe and different medicines are safe. I, 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 I want to find out the information on my own. And uh, the research kept coming back to uh, pest, heavy pesticide use, glyphosate use, all these other heavy metals that are being put on the crop for fertilizer or herbicide or fungicide or as a processing aid. Um, so that became clear that that was... Uh, something that needed to be addressed and that likely I was not going to change the commercial uh, wheat production world, but I certainly could go and find farmers that were planting organic crops in a clean way, or better yet, biodynamic crops. And uh, turns out a lot of the guys that I'd been working with for a long time were already doing it. Uh, not only were they, were they planting organic uh, grain, they were planting certain varieties that were much older, uh, you know, two, two and three hundred years old, turkey red being one of them. 
And so I started digging into grain variety a little bit and, and reading some books uh, and asking around. And the evidence was, was sort of leading towards these older grains being easier to digest. So I said, okay, well, you know, I, I am on a, I'm on a, I am currently on, a, on this fanatical mission where I feel like if, if the human race has survived for 10,000 years or more on grain up until 10 or 20 years ago, somebody should be asking some fucking questions. So uh, I'm upset, I'm freaked out, and I'm asking questions. And we are making decisions for our customers and our families um, to, we're, we're addressing some of these uh, questions that, that may or may not have answers. So is it wheat variety? We know chemicals aren't good. Is it long fermentation? We know everything tastes better when it's fermented uh, in bulk or, or per, uh, fermented a long time. Uh, we know that, that almost all of the food groups from our, our forefathers and from ancient cultures were typically fermented. So we follow you know, three kind of main guidelines to make bread that we can feel proud about serving and have a high level of confidence that, you know, geez, if you're ever going to be able to digest a bread, and you're not celiac, but if you have some gluten sensitivity, we will have done everything that we can to make you be able to eat bread. So you've mentioned three things. You've mentioned wheat variety. You've mentioned the way modern wheats mostly are grown and what's put on them. And you've mentioned long fermentation. And it, it could be any one of these. See, one of the things that puzzles me about old weeds is um, you can get many of the qualities of old weeds in a modern variety, and they're doing that. They're doing that in various breeding places. So do you think there's inherently something about new varieties, or is it just that the, the, the breeders so far haven't been paying attention to the things that you're interested in? That's a great question. And... I, you know, Dr. Stephen Jones is doing amazing work, uh, as are many of his colleagues and people around the world. I feel like if it, if it was the genetics of the wheat that have been altered in such a way that are now providing problems for human beings to consume, why not just simply go back 100, 200 years to something that was already proven? You know, I, I try to be very careful not to uh, condemn anything about all of the great work that's being done in modern wheat. But I, I find that I'm really actually, I'm really passionate, almost like an antique, an antique collector, you know, becomes passionate about these kind of old things. So I think that, you know, and this is against a sort of Luddite, but I think that, you know, in our, in our grandfather's era, in our great-grandfather's era, things were done with purpose and meaning, and they were done to last a lifetime. Uh, I have a certain blind faith in the wisdom of our elders that they were thinking for the long run. So, Tell me about Louisville, because um, it, I'm just driving in across the train tracks there. It doesn't seem immediately like the kind of place that would support the kind of place you've been thinking of. So Louisville is a very interesting town with a lot of heart and uh, a lot of uh, kind of hometown loyalty. And it's a lot like a Norman Rockwell painting from you know 70 years ago of it's very safe it's uh, a lot of boulder expats who got a little bit you know frustrated with boulder just sort of checked out 
And so as a result, you know, the demographic is pretty well educated, pretty well traveled, and there, there are a ton of foodies here. And uh, so at a glance, it may not seem like a place that would really want a fancy, you know, pastry shop, but it, 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 it has, for, for us, it certainly has become that. When, when I was talking to some friends in town five years ago about what did Louisville need, uh, I, was, I was told, hey, this is a $5 hamburger and Bud Light town. So, you, you know, don't be taking your fancy pastries here. And I looked around, I saw something different. And so we, we've been, you know, as busy as we can possibly stand for, you know, for that three and a half years. Did you think about Louisville first, or were you casting around for somewhere to build your dream bakery and happened upon Louisville? Because they do, I mean, as you say, sure. they seem well matched. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, um, I had been building a business plan and a bit of a narrative, a, a, a Word document that was, um, and, and a collage, quite frankly, of uh, every inspiring place I'd been. So maybe it was the Louvre, maybe it was uh, Poilan, maybe it was Borough Market, maybe it was a pizza shop in New York City. I had photos and menus, and uh, I had I have uh, hard drives with terabytes of photographs of food and visual um, beauty that I, I use as um, inspiration. Uh, I had the privilege of traveling quite a bit uh, throughout America and the world and seeing the best shops, and I would go around and I would discover what was the one item that was unique. And so I, I kind of traveled and took the best of what I saw throughout you know, the country and the world and, and chiseled that into part of my business plan, my narrative as a, when I do open a bakery, it'll have these items on it. I didn't know we were gonna be in Louisville, um, but I had you know, a 10 or 15 year uh, seed you know in this in this document that was hey whenever we find a home we're gonna set up our roots and this is kind of what the baker will look like and you know remarkably i'm really bad at forecasting future events and i i couldn't tell you where i'll be in six months i really couldn't no matter how hard i tried but this little you know kind of um thing i'd whittled on slowly uh when it did emerge it was really close to what I had dreamed about. And then, of course, there were all these uh, layers of, of community that I never could have expected. There were, uh, you know, moving into the heirloom grain and getting deeper with uh, the farmers and planting our own wheat. That, that, that wasn't part of the early plan. Uh, all of these things just sort of started kind of, you know, volunteering themselves in the field. And again, I... I is, is now it's really not about bread. Bread's super fun, and I, and I have recently a new spark of desire and interest in bread after staging in San Francisco last month. Um, but, it, you know, bread's not the core. The core is this much bigger, deeper uh, mission of community and, you know, healing the earth, too, and figuring out what, how, what are we planning, how should we be planning it, how should these farms be managed, um, you know, how far should we be shipping and buying food um you know bread is clearly in your blood as it were uh, a lot of the stuff i've read it mentions the bread and the long fermentation and the organic wheat but but in the end it it goes ballistic for this pastry you do the 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 queen jaman yeah um that's not 
not uh, not healthy. It's not healthy. So we we focused on two major um, contributors to you know the, the the human. You know, one is the health. And then one is, is sort of a more soul-satisfying endeavor. Happiness and that's, that's where, you know, the French have done it well with happiness uh, through butter and sugar and layers of love. So our, our Queen Amon is, is an amazing product. And, and I, I learned it, you know, more than 10 years ago from Michelle Suas in San Francisco, a uh, native of Brittany, France. Maybe picking Michelle's brain, you know, tell me more about this archaic pastry and, you know, the sloppy, buttery, sugary lamination. And, uh, and I, I tried one and it, it you know, it, it blew me away. So I came back to Colorado and at that time I was working uh, for Udi's Bakery. And we launched the Queen Amon as a farmer's market special. And the sales of the Queen Amon, you know, if we were selling 10 muffins a day at the farmer's market, we were selling 200 Queen Amon. So it was a staggering success, and they continue to sell lots and lots of them. And uh, I'm always a little bit shocked that it it, it is not a uh, a staple at, at every bakery in America. You, you find it in pockets. You probably find it in New York and L.A. and D.C. Uh, but uh, have you ever had an English lardy cake? I have. I have. They're delicious. They are delicious. What's What's the difference? I think it's the lamination of the dough. I, I believe. So with the Queen Amon, uh, you're essentially making, you know, what is just short of a croissant dough, and then you're, you're folding in uh, two more layers, which ends up being an exponential value beyond two, of added butter and sugar, not to mention coating your baking pan with butter and sugar. And, and, you, and, you, and you're, it's, it's um, you know, I like to say it's, it's like a, a super suspended sort of colloidal suspension of more fat and sugar than it should just fall and drop. But it, but it doesn't. It caramelizes and we eat it and it covers us in flakes and we smile. The place you've constructed here, Moxie, it's, it's, you hear music outside the door, you walk in, it's busy, but it's not hectic. Um, did that just happen? Did you, did you engineer that? That just happened. That just happened. As proud as I am of, of having whittled away at this certain concept and business plan, uh, my concept and business plan spoke to menu items. And uh, the concept of a cozy atmosphere and the concept of really engaging customer service and I didn't know how to create those things. I knew I wanted those things. The creation of those things came about with the people that we hired. So whether that's a really friendly you know, barista or cashier or a really committed, uh, passionate baker, it all starts and ends with the people. So ha- having managed large groups of people, sometimes poorly, sometimes with some finesse and uh, I grew to have a, a slightly lighter, a lighter handhold on the process. I don't, I don't micromanage the passion out of our, our staff, and it, and it in turn um, helps to create people who are who are happy and who do enjoy their work. And when a customer comes up the front door, and there's some beautiful music playing, and they see a happy, uh, engaged person uh, offering you a coffee or a croissant. They then get happy. Can you can you just take me roughly through a cycle or a day? It's probably longer than a day, but roughly a cycle 
in baking here at Moxie? So, so we start our mornings um, in bread and pastry at 4 a.m. And our pastry chefs come in and they uh, set up their, their uh, shaped uh, pastries to proof. And so they start improving at four. Our bread bakers come in and they um, start dividing their dough that's been resting overnight. So we uh, we have about a 20-hour bulk fermentation. Most of that's in a, a refrigerator. So they come in and they divide, they pre-shape, and they let their dough warm up a little bit. And about half an hour, 45 minutes later, they come back and they go to final shape. Uh, and while the bread's proofing, they're mixing other dough for tomorrow. They're making pizzas and fugas and rolls, milling flour. We, we, we mill in the early mornings. It's a little bit noisy and dusty. So we'll spend the first couple hours uh, of, of, of the slower days milling. And we'll mill maybe 150 pounds of grain a day. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very uh, fulfilling baking day. Um, but we try to set our uh, production schedule so they're not you know, uh, grueling and, and, you know, we're not trying to squeeze every last inch of um, or every last drop of um, labor value out of our staff. We want people to be here for a long time. And, uh, and it's worked really well having that. You know, it's a very different approach. We take our, our role of being a town baker very seriously. We want to supply bread at the right time of day and on the holidays. But we also want to live, and so it's important that our it's important to me that we're thinking holistically about our, our staff as a as its own you know living uh, creature that needs nourishment and that we want to survive to the next day and year uh, to to do what we do you know and although bread is important could you could you do this just as a coffee shop? Um, I, I think that we've stumbled upon a formula for, I hate to call it success, you know, a formula for, uh, for success, <laughs> um, between customer service and, and quality, uh, location is, is required, a good location is required too, but I feel like we've kind of figured out, you know, the key elements in this era of a certain demographic to create a prosperous business. And so I think it could probably just be a coffee shop. I, I do. Uh, but on the flip side, uh, you know, bread is so grounding and so important and such an elemental, you know, uh, uh, human uh, craving, I guess, you know, that it adds a whole nother gravity, a whole nother depth to what we do. And I feel like the, the shift in America and, and at globally and certainly Great Britain as well, the shift away from neighborhood bakeries to uh, big grocery store bakeries and the shift within the grocery stores of buying frozen bread and bread prepared offsite far, far away, um, you know, people are getting hip to the fact that that little guy in the chef coat behind the counter didn't actually make the bread and has no idea where it came from. And it may or may not be fresh. Or it may or may not taste good. Um, People like seeing people work. People like seeing people make bread. When you look at the landscape in America uh, in this past 10 years, you'll see that places like Moxie Bread Co. are popping up all over the place with great success. And, and price. A lot of, you know, there's, there's a kind of, um, well, this is all very well having long fermented whole grain breads for people who can afford it. But the people who are buying 
Wonder Bread or whatever can't afford your good stuff. How do people react to the real price of a loaf of bread? So I feel like our pricing uh, has room for every budget so that we try to keep certain items that are um, you know, more accessible, uh, have a lower retail price, and then other items we make for people who can afford it and who do want a really uh, elegant, beautiful product. Um, that said, none, nothing we do is cheap. And I, I feel like it, it's, um, it's something that we as a people need to evolve into. There's two things. One is that the price of Wonder Bread and the price of uh, a lot of the food we eat is, is subsidized and is lower than it actually should be. So a $2 loaf of Wonder Bread might be a good value as far as cash goes, but it's not an investment in your health or, or um, certainly not a culinary investment. So I think that food should cost a little bit more, but it should be better food. So I feel confident that our pricing for our demographic uh, makes sense. We don't, we don't want to be... Um, uh, so our goal is to sort of be middle to slightly above middle price-wise, and, and that it, it does certainly only work in certain demographics. Um, you said a little while ago you don't know where you're going to be in six months' time. Where's Moxie going to be in six years' time? My interests are really, really growing towards uh, you know the, 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 the growing aspect of, of our food, and I could see us growing uh, a fair amount of our own grain and um, milling it and acting as a, um, a sort of go-between uh, as a middleman to get whether it's our grain or other great farmers grain to the public again after exiting the world of high production baking and, and, and losing a lot of my heart and soul to machines you know uh, I really want to enjoy what it means to bake bread and try to find the rhythm and the zen and the zen of it and, and I actually have a really hard time doing it when I'm baking because you know things are happening it's a busy business and and I have to have this really laser focus where I actually just keep repeating mantras in my head that are you know you're enjoying this stop thinking about their shit you know this is touching the dough it's amazing this is your favorite thing to do in the world and I usually can kind of get into that zone you know between four and five in the morning for an hour two or three and which I consider a success. Andy Clark of Moxie Bread Company making bread as a form of meditation. And that pastry we were talking about, the one he called a super colloidal suspension of fat and sugar, that's a quinamam, originally from Brittany and France. The name actually translates as butter cake, and researching Moxie was the first time I'd come across it. What a sheltered life I lead. Anyway, I'm here to tell you that the one I sampled in Louisville was worth traveling almost 9,000 kilometers to taste. I'll put some links in the show notes at eatthispodcast.com so you can find out more for yourself. And it's been a little while since I thanked all the people who donate to support the show. Thank you. You can join them by clicking the donate link at eatthispodcast.com. And if you can't do that just yet, maybe you could leave a review at iTunes or, in that immortal phrase, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going back to dreaming of another Queen Aman. So till the next time, from me, Jeremy Churfus, goodbye and thanks for listening.